Leafs Nation continuing. Brent Gunning, Gord Stellick alongside me. Producer Sam McKee floating around as well. But right now joining us from, from, from out in beautiful Calgary, Eric Francis, senior columnist, analyst with Sportsnet. Francis, how you doing? I am great. How are you? Doing well, doing well. A little little jealous of you. You know, I'm, I'm wondering what it's like to be one of the last Canadian markets that they're actually letting NHL players in the building to do work. And, uh, you know, that's my understanding of what's going on in Calgary. Man, uh, teams have been getting placed into protocols, kind of dropping like flies. I, I know you guys have been through it uh, with with that team out there. But, uh, man, it's just uh, it's incredible how, how it's kind of ripped through the league in the last week or so, isn't it? Yeah, it's been amazing. You know, I mean... I get the feeds from every team in the league to my phone, you know, the, the Twitter or, you know, their uh, press releases. I get the league's ones, but whether you're a journalist and you're getting your feeds for that, or you're just going to sports sets website and going on the, the, the COVID tracker, who knew we'd have something like that. But it's just it's, every hour there's another hit, right? It's, 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 uh, it's kind of scary. I know out in Alberta here today, we've got a press conference from our, uh, our medical people, you know, we're going to make, I don't know what they're going to say, what they're going to do, but it's all heading in a bad way. And uh, I thought when you said that you were jealous of me, I thought you were going to say, because we got a good head start on Christmas. We got a chance to do lots of our shopping and uh, <laughs> Christmas did come a little early in Calgary, not in a good way, but we did have a little more free time on our hands. That's for sure. With all those games canceled. Well, in, in a lot of ways, you guys were kind of ground zero. You're, you're the first to, expose everyone how quick this could happen because uh, on a Friday you had Gary Bettman and Bill Daly press conference in West Palm Beach, Board of Governors meetings, uh, the understanding about COVID but the positivity, positive stuff and you know optimism about the Olympics and about positive revenue figures and getting out of the hole and then uh, if I heard correctly from Brad True Living that uh, Saturday morning at one point there were no cases and by what two days later there were 17 cases with the Calgary Flames and and other teams have kind of mirrored that since then yeah and I don't think anybody's hit been hit quite as hard as the Flames in terms of numbers they had 19 guys out Brad Living had the line of the week I thought when he said well we still got a pretty good three-on-three team I don't know why they're canceling all our games because uh, they did have a goalie a defenseman and two forwards but you know, uh, the way it happened so quickly, and, you know, I, I, I they were – the testing system, you know, <clears throat> failed them to a degree. Uh, but I, either way, no matter how it spread, uh, you got a situation with 19 guys. You know, we forget, guys, that Vancouver got it way worse than that. I mean, it's hard to believe you could get hit worse than 19 of, of 22 guys. But Vancouver, I think, had 23 players or 21 players. I don't remember what the number was. But don't forget, those players, none of them were vaccinated at the time. They, they, you know, vaccines weren't available. So a lot of those guys were really, really sick. And, uh, you know, at least in this case, it still stands that most of the players are not having any symptoms whatsoever. And if some of them are having it, they're mild. Uh, so that's the good news in all this, you know, that, that nobody's really, really sick about this. I don't know about around the league. and I can't speak for all the other teams, but it's, I know in Calgary, it's been uh, most of the guys are asymptomatic. So... That's good news.
Yeah, that that's definitely encouraging. No one wants to find themselves in a situation like like the Canucks uh, dealt with last year. Um, you know, in terms of the actual team, uh, man, this is a interesting season, but really interesting off season coming up in Calgary. I'll, I'll kind of start with Matthew Kachuk. He's restricted free agent after after signing the bridge deal. I believe he has that really really high qualifying offer, which I imagine the team will will offer him. What do you think happens with Kachuk? Is there is there any world where you could see a guy with the murky cap situation? saying, yeah, I'll take a one-year big ticket and do this all again a year from now. How do, how do you think things play out with, with Kachuk this, this summer or uh, potentially before then? I, I would be absolutely stunned if it doesn't play out exactly this way. Uh, he takes the qualifying offer at $9 million, which they're obligated to give him <clears throat> if they want to proceed with the relationship, which they obviously <laughs> do. $9 million. He says, thank you very much. Let's talk next summer. Uh, and and shortly thereafter, he'll be talking to 31 other teams as an unrestricted free agent. It's it's going to be that simple. I mean, the Kachucks are solid, solid, very smart businessmen. Um, business wise, it it would be I think it'd be foolish to sign anything before that. Um, sure, if the Calgary Flames came this summer and said, "How about an eight-year deal for nine million dollars a year?" Well, then I think it might be a little different. I was shocked when Brady got signed by the Ottawa Senators. Um, I would be even more shocked if the Calgary Flames could come to terms with Matthew any time before he becomes a UFA in two years. So uh, it was interesting. Johnny Goodrow, great example about someone you expected to leave town in the Daryl Sutter era and uh, really has seemed to find his, found his game. So let's talk about Daryl Sutter. I know I've chatted with you about it before, about the guy that was old, too old school for the LA Kings and won two Stanley Cup rings and then came in Calgary. And I know they've, I know they've cooled off a little bit of late, but what is it about the Sutter style and the buy-in that seems to be working again? Uh, it's, it's quite magical, to be honest. I mean, this was a team that has been known the last two, three years as being very inconsistent. Um, large stretches where their their give-a-crap meter is basically turned off, and all that's turned around. I mean, their number one asset right now is their work ethic and their consistency, and that's all a product of this coach preparing these guys however he prepares them. And, you know, uh, it's pretty well documented how he prepares them. He, he gives them individual challenges before every game, lets them know what their entire role is going to be. Anyway, they've, they've all bought in, and Johnny Gaudreau is, is, is the guy who I – I just didn't think was capable of buying into Sutter brand hockey. You know, when you talk about Sutter brand hockey, you talk about tenacious forechecking or physical play. I mean, we didn't think Johnny Gaudreau was capable of that, but defensively he has been fantastic. And I'm going to, I'm going to roll out a stat that I think is the most incredible stat I've ever seen of a guy with some pretty incredible stats in his career. It took till game 20 for him to be on the ice this year for a five on five goal against. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau, quite frankly, was considered a bit of a liability defensively. I mean, he's phenomenal offensively, but with that, sometimes comes a little, uh, some deficiencies defensively. This year, he's been brilliant in his own zone, and that's all a testament to the way he's bought into the Sutter way. So this turnaround that the Calgary Flames are experiencing is all because of Daryl Sutter. Stop, you know, end of stop. It was the right hire at the right time, and it's turned this franchise around. So obviously, because he's turned it around, it is the right hire, and you nailed it there. But I think with a guy like that, there's a bit of a shelf life on it. Now, this is a guy who's had long stretches. Uh, he had one in San Jose. He he had a brief stint in Calgary. He had a long stretch with the Kings as well, a very, very successful one. But do you think there's a world where there's just a shorter shelf life on, on a 
coach like Sutter, who is so demanding and kind of only has one way. You know, I think sometimes we we don't give these guys enough credit for being able to adapt a little bit their personalities. But, you know, what what do you make of that, the idea of a coach like Sutter having a, a bit of a shorter shelf life in, in any one market? You know, I've heard that a lot. But I have to say, when you look at his coaching resume, you know, you mentioned that he had a, a brief stint in Calgary. But the only reason it was brief as a coach was because he did such a good job as a coach that they moved him into the GM's chair. And, uh, you know, otherwise he would have had a whole lot more years as a coach, um, you know, in Calgary. So, yeah, I, I guess that's a possibility. I would submit to you that almost every coach in the NHL has a short shelf life. Um you know, Daryl Daryl had a pretty good stint in L.A., won a couple of cups, and got quite a lot out of that franchise for a good four or five years uh, before they moved on from him. So I, is that short? I don't know. Is four or five years short? I wouldn't. I don't really think it is. I, it remains to be seen. And right now, you know, I don't think people in Calgary are too, too worried about two, three years from now because it'll be a whole different team. Um, you know, it looks like Johnny Gaudreau, you know, they could lose him this summer. They could lose Kachuk next summer. Uh, you know, Manjapani could leave by then too. Um, or they could find a way to sign one or two of those guys. I don't know. But either way, the team they have right now, he's the right guy for the job. And I don't think any GM is too, too worried about a long shelf life. They're just worried about winning this year. Uh, I like the segment a while ago you did with uh, Spectre, The Battle of Alberta. And, of course, he shamelessly plugged his book, but you mentioned you had a copy of it. But uh, let's talk Let's talk about that other team. Um, before that last win, what, what your take is? Obviously not as well-rounded Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, and by the way, if anyone wants that book, The Battle of Alberta, you can get it for under a dollar now at most, uh, most bargain bins. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's a great read. You know what? That's a great battle and a great history, and he did a great job with that book. Uh, but don't tell him I said that. Um, the, no, it's just uh, the three of the, us talking here, Eric. Yeah, just just a little group group chat. I, the Oilers are, you know, that's a two two headed monster, and they're the two best players in the world. There's no zero debate, you know, and and so with that gives you the basis for a damn good team. They're a hell of a lot better team than they were two three years ago. Um, you know, Ken Hall has done a, a great job building around those guys, and they're just going to keep getting better and better as he gets the deadwood out of the organization and molds it the way he wants it to. But I still don't think they have the depth, guys. I mean, I, yeah, they could win a series maybe in the playoffs. I just I don't think they have the longevity with just two guys carrying the mail. They, they, they need a goalie. I mean, the whole world knows it. Um, you know, Mike Smith's injury issue is, is extremely predictable. Um, Koskinen's demise has been predictable. Uh, and the fact that they're going to go out and get a goalie is pretty predictable too. So once they get a goalie and they will be able to find somebody somewhere, then I think the outlook becomes a little rosier in Edmonton. But for now, guys, I mean, you tell me, I mean, tell me their bottom six forwards are not, you know, c- carrying their weight. Um, I like their blue line a lot more than they have than they've had in the past. Tyson Berry, uh, obviously, Nurse is, is a world-class defenseman. Uh, but, again, they're, they're thin there, too. It drops off pretty quickly after those guys. So I, I just don't think they have the depth, but, man, do they have the high-end talent. And in terms of if you're sitting down to watch a game at night, guys, and you have, okay, okay, I can watch any game in the NHL tonight. What am I going to watch? I think a lot of people are going to say, I want to watch the Edmonton Oilers because they're so damn entertaining. They still play those 6-5 games like the old Oilers did. And I, I just don't think it'll, it serves them well, you know, to, to do well this year long term. But, uh, boy, oh, boy, those two guys are fun to watch. 
Yeah, they're like a, they're like a junior team. They got the super high end talent, and then there's mistakes that lead to rushes uh, the other way. And it's a, a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Eric, thanks so much for joining us, man. I uh, really appreciate it. Hey, boys, Merry Christmas! So, uh, as Brad Trilling said the other day, stay positive, test negative. There we go. As good a message as any, Eric Francis. Uh, always, always love uh, getting him on. Loved you asked about the Oilers. We got everything there. We got a good answer about a hockey team. We got tweaking of one of his colleagues. Just everything you uh, you could possibly ask for in that interview with Eric. I'll always enjoy uh, talking with him, Gord. Yeah, you know, do it gives a and, and it's just interesting the Daryl Sutter effect and and what it is. And uh, boy, you remember when he took over the L.A. Kings? He first. What it took about ten days because he had to shut down. He he had to get his affairs at the at the cattle ranch uh, taken care of. You know, made sure he did and went over and won two cups there. Like I I got him. You know, I, he's got he's got he's got elements of that Bill Belichick secret herbs and spices when it comes to coaching success. Yeah, he he really does. Uh, he also gave a he gave me anyways. Also, I'll speak for myself. Maybe my favorite line of last season or whenever it was he took over and he got asked about putting Kachuk and Grujo together on the power play and he said, "Well, they played a five to five together since Christ was a child." So, and I can never not laugh uh, when I when I hear when I hear uh, that that line from him. Man, just uh, it's funny. I always like to play the game. Imagine this was in Toronto. Imagine in Toronto. Let's just pick a guy. Yeah, William Nylander. He had a $9 million qualifying offer sitting waiting for him at the end of the season, and then he could walk to unrestricted free agency if he took it. Alarm bells would be ringing. That is such a unique situation with what Kachuk's got going on, and yeah, I think Eric nailed it. That's probably exactly what's going to happen. He's going to take $9 bucks for one year. Uh, pretty good work if you could get it, but it's just that is a situation that I feel like is kind of flying a little under the radar in the league just because everyone's so bogged down with COVID and what's going on, and everybody's tight to the cap, but man, that, that Kachuk situation is is not a happy place to find yourself in. Well, it's still a year away from that, and you saw what Columbus did with Seth Jones that, you know, nowadays I think a lot of teams are looking at and saying, look, if we know the player is not going to re-up and we could get something something substantive back, which I think which Columbus did in the Chicago trade, then we probably have to look at that. And also it just becomes such a distraction. Like nowadays, you know, uh, hopefully the Leafs don't go through that with Austin Matthews. That's still... That's still a couple of years away, but still, at that point, if it gets to it and he gets in the final year and you know he can walk and people's perception will be, well, if he hasn't re-upped, he probably is going to walk. Those are, those are, those are tough predicaments for general managers. The Daryl Sutter line fellas of last year when he asked about Goudreau's 500th game, he said, oh, what are you, what are you thinking about his 500th game? <laughs> he said, I sure hope it's better than his 499. <laughs> oh, I know. Right. That was great. <laughs> Oh, everyone was speechless. Everyone was speechless. Like, you know, to, to, a softball question to throw throw a bone about his great career. I hope he plays better than game 499. But that's what it takes. Like, that's oh, who he is, right? He never, ever it. lets up being the guy who's always pulling the strings. <laughs> and, man, that, that is uh, – and it's funny because when it's him, he would have said that about anybody. He would have said that about, you know, pick your guy, Mark Giordano. He would have said it about him if he had a problem with game number 999. Oh, man, uh, yes, uh, Sutter. Not, not exactly the personality you think of as a quote machine, but just like Maurice, who we were talking about as well. You got to listen a little carefully, but man, it's a, it's a dry, a little and slower sense of humor. And I, uh, oh man, I'm, I'm so happy you reminded us of that McKee. Cause man, that is a, uh, that's a great one. There's, there's a lot of coaches across the league where you kind of have to be careful with what you say. There's a lot of coaches that are, you know, super, they're not 
they won't take a softball like Gordo said. But, you know, Sheldon Keefe takes a lot of questions where he's really professional about it and he'll give a long, thoughtful answer. And, you know, John Cooper kind of comes to mind when you think of guys like that. But there are certain guys that you got to be careful around. And Daryl Sutler's definitely one of them, you know, of course, Torts in his heyday. Uh, I guess that's what I'm saying, Brooksy. Uh, a bunch of different ones that come to mind. But, yeah, Sutter, I love that quote. But, man, I don't think Daryl Sutter's doing 10-minute press conferences twice a day like Sheldon Keefe does here in Toronto. No, I uh, I definitely I definitely don't think so uh, with, with Sutter. You know somebody who would talk for 10 minutes at a time, 20 minutes at a time, 30, 40, 50 minutes doing post-game shows on these very airwaves hosting this exact show, Leafs Nation. It was Todd Halushko, our good buddy. Todd returns, the maniac in Mannheim. He talks to us next on Leafs Nation. Break cutting at Gord Stellick on Sportsnet, 590 The Fan. Leafs Nation, Brent Gunning, Gord Stellick alongside me, and a guy who used to make magic to that music. Our buddy, Todd Halushko, Director of North American Scouting and Player Development for the Adler Mannheim Hockey Club and the DEL. Halushko, it's so good to have you back. How you doing, bud? Gentlemen, it is a pl- I guess, yeah, it's a pleasure to be back on air. I mean, you guys, it must be holiday time. That there's uh, that you're running out of guests that that you're reaching back into the old bag and and calling me up, but I greatly appreciate it because the, the beauty of it, I was just talking to Derek off off air, and I know that you guys are at home, if I'm not mistaken, doing this remotely. So when I was working with Gord for all those years, I knew that Gord hated really he liked coming into the studio, but he really came into to comfortable clothes. He'd wear a sweat top. He'd have his, his North Toronto uh, sweatshirt on. And he would just, he'd be really comfortable. Now that he gets to do this remotely from home, I can almost guarantee he's in his boxers, no socks, no pants. He's got a wife beater on. He's just sitting there and he's got like Dorito chips all over his belly doing this. He is in, he is in heaven doing the shows from his house. No question. Well, you know, Todd, by the way, we ran out of guests last week. This is the second <laughs> second level bag that we're going at, so thanks for answering oh, it. But uh, oh, I just God. want to tell you, Brent, one, one thing we're going to miss is, and you and I would have done this and did it with Todd, we enjoyed going out for the odd beverage when we weren't in yeah. studio and we dressed up a bit nicer. But I will tell you, if he... He's very he's very hospitable, but he'll invite you to real sports, okay, for a beverage. And when you show up, don't look in the booths and everything. For some reason, Todd is in this special. He thinks it's a pseudo VIP area. He was expecting 17 other friends. Zero had shown up, okay? And it's like the furniture is like a, do- a kid's dollhouse, whatever. He's not so all of a sudden he sees you and he hastily moves around, whatever, this little table, whatever. So it's just kind of weird, right? It's just like... Like, just like, you know, you're on stage in this thing. So just so you know, he's very ge- very generous, but it's a little strange, Brent, okay? It was, it, Brent, it was, a, it was a great setup at the Real Sports. It would go up, and there's kind of like a little area, a little booth that you can, you can look above everybody and feel like you're above everybody a little bit and look down <laughs> and, and, watch, and watch the TV. So I, I called in my favors and said, hey, listen, I've got the one and only Gord Stellis coming in for dinner. Is there something special we can do? And they moved us up into this VIP booth. I think this is where all the, most of the Leafs guys that do go there for games, that's where they sit. But they knew that Gord was there. And to be quite honest, Boreal Salming was in town that day eating there. 
and they bumped him for Stelic. That tells you how important Gord is in the city. Oh, we all know how important Stelic is. And, man, I actually think I know the area of real sports you're talking about because, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, now I'm creeping and creeping towards big wig status like you, uh, you, you guys. But this was back in the days when I was an absolute no one as opposed to the partial no one I am now. And I somehow found myself in that place after, um, you know, a couple or 13 cocktails at said establishment. And there were a lot of looks telling me I needed to get out of there. So maybe one day I'll be lucky enough. <laughs> Uh, to join you up there, Halushko. Oh, man. Uh, oh, I'm so happy you, you're you back. Kept, this is awesome. Listen, Brad, there was many days that you just kept me and Gordon in in, in, uh, in control because that, that, that the studio that we were in all the time, there was a lot of nonsense going on, and we'd always get the – someone would hit the button, and we would say, boys, smarten up. You're going live. And if we didn't get that update, I don't know what we would have been saying on the air, but it wouldn't have been good. Do you still have the video of you piggybacking me out of the uh, out of the radio booth saying we're we're on our way to the? I could not believe you lifted me. I've, that's the last time I'll ever I've got piggybacked truly in my life, Halushko. You had you had a bad foot. It was my responsibility to get you from point A to point B. And the one thing that I had to make sure of at that particular time was you were a little gassy that day, and I needed to get you to the restroom and back because I had to work in that room the whole time and i didn't want to get smoked out of there so you know it was kind of uh, something that i needed to do for myself too and that's why the piggyback happened i feel like after you i have to offer you the rebuttal gourd i i could say something but i feel like you get to well, defend yourself after yeah, like you know, like he, he, these are great fiction stories that todd tells so uh, fiction, yes, come on yes. But but on, on the serious side about, again, fabulous job you've done for Adler Mannheim. I know the championship one year and then the trials and tribulations of COVID world and other things like everyone else has faced. So first, yep. you know, give, a, give us the landscape. What, what has gone on there this season, Todd? Yeah, no, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a challenging year. Like, uh, like most leagues, not just the NHL, the American League, I mean, the, the KHL, the SHL, uh, the DEL in Germany where I'm part of. Every, every league has their challenges this year, and it's unfortunate because we started out like everybody else, and we were very cautious, uh, and we slowly were getting back uh, to bringing the fans back, uh, getting back to a little bit, no, a little bit of normalcy uh, in our league, and we got to the point where we were actually back to 80% capacity in our, all of our rinks, and, and everything seemed to be turning, and, and guys were getting excited. The hockey, the fans were back. It was fantastic. And then, obviously, with, with the new variant that's come out, it's kind of it's, it's pushed us back again a little bit. And just uh, in the last uh, three weeks, we've kind of reduced our, 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 uh, ca- our capacity for fans in our buildings again. So in Mannheim, we're back to basically zero fans watching the games, which is really tough for the players because, as you know, Gord, in Europe, uh, home ice advantage is really dictated by the fans that you have because they get so loud and nuts. And, and when you don't have that, it's it's a really it's really tough to get motivated. As everyone knows here, when we watched the NHL last year, when there was no fans in the buildings, it's really hard to to get that atmosphere going again without the fan support. Um, now in, in Germany, like just like in Canada, there's different provinces, different states, uh, so there's different rules. So not everybody across Germany right now has has restricted the fans from coming to the building. There are a couple places that still have some fans, but it's being reduced and and it's taken its toll on on ownership. Uh, over there, obviously, they're losing a lot of revenue every time that there's there's no games in there. I mean, uh, the, the leagues over there really uh, rely on sponsorships and things like that. It's not you know like the NHL is where where you have really super deep pocket owners that can maybe 
uh, survive. So well, we're hoping that we can get through this and we're not going to lose any teams because of the second round that, that's happening uh, with having the fans out of our buildings. But um, for the most part, guys are doing their best. Our team is doing well. It's, it's, a, it's, a very, uh, it's a very close league this year. There's a lot of teams that, are, that, are, uh, that have a chance to win it. So that side of it's been good. But just, you know, it, it's tough just because of the atmosphere. The guys, it's tough to, to create uh, a fake atmosphere in there when you want to, when you want to really get things going. It's just, that's the hardest part about it. And hopefully we'll get through this. And like we did last year, just unfortunately it just seems like it's a, it's a reset from where we were last year. But you've got to do the right things and you've got you to put health first. Yeah, de- definitely. I remember last year without fans in the building, it just felt like there were a lot of more, a lot more fights, guys running around, just trying to do something to kind of get that that emotion back back into the game. Because yeah, you don't. I think sometimes you kind of take something for granted, and especially fans until they're not there, and then you go, oh man, geez, it is a, it's really really different. Let's just talk for a second about what a kind of incredibly exciting time this is for German hockey. You know, I'm a kid. I remember only the goalie and okay, that's nice for them, but that's not the case anymore. It feels like every single year, there's a player or two who's kind of joining the party. And, you know, all of a sudden this is going to be one of those, you know, kind of, you know, it's not going to be the the power that even a Sweden or or a Finland's kind of become, but they're not that far away either. I mean, of course, Dreisaitl, but you got Sider coming, Uh, you know, Stutzla in Ottawa. I like to call him Timmy Schnitzel. You could take Take that one, bring it back to Ottawa, take it, leave it. I, I don't know, bring it to Germany with you. But, I mean, it's just, it's been an incredible run for, for German hockey lately. And it, it feels like that's why it's so important to keep the, the health of the, the domestic league going as well because that's where those guys come from. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, another guy to, to keep an eye on in Buffalo is going to be J.J. Paterka, who's been up and down a little bit. He's been in, uh, been in Rochester last little bit. He's going to be, a, he's going to be a, a mainstay in the NHL uh, for years to come as well. But, yeah, the, the names that you mentioned, obviously, Mordet Sider is going to be up for the, uh, the Rookie of the Year this year. He's having an outstanding season in, uh, in Detroit. And, and Timmy Stitzel, he's doing okay. He's a little bit of a second year where everyone knows who he is right now. So it's not going to come as easy to him because he's getting a little bit more attention. And obviously, uh, Leon Dreisaitl is just, you know, he's a superstar in, in, in any league that you ever put him. He's, he's fantastic. And, yeah, there's, there's been a nice pipeline of, of young German kids coming through and It'll be interesting this year at the World Championships this year as well. I mean, there's there's some there's some going to be some really uh, really good young players again. Probably not at the the caliber of the Stutzels and the Siders. I mean, that doesn't come every single year. Those guys are special players. But there's definitely going to be a, a number of players on that World Junior team uh, out in Edmonton this year that are going to turn some heads as well. And names that you don't know right now that will pop up to you as you watch the games. And there's numerous guys that are playing on this team that on these teams that play in our league in the DEL. So you had 17 and 17 year old uh, kids playing in a men's league in the DEL. That's helping them develop and, and raising their game a little bit. So the development continues to, to grow in Germany. And it's been awesome uh, to, to see these young players step up and do what they're doing. And, and having the guys like Sire and Stutzel and Dreisettle become household names in Germany. And all of a sudden kids that may have always played soccer or something else, are gravitating a little bit more to hockey because they're, you know, there's there's more uh, there's no more notoriety right now because of these guys and how well they're doing over in North America. So it's awesome to see. And uh, yeah, the German program they're they're developing and you know they're still a step behind the, the Swedes and maybe the the Finns and the and the and the Swiss and the KHL. But uh, when you play in on national programs, when you watch our, our national team play these other countries on the uh, national stage, uh, there's no more 10-1 games. I mean, it's it is it is it is neck and neck now, and 
as you saw in the last Olympics, when there was an Olympics, Germany could really pull out some upsets and almost won the gold medal in 2018. So I want to ask you about um, the Olympics, because you've had ex- first-hand experience, um, and, and it was great seeing you being reunited with Paul Korea. Paul Korea just really yeah. embraced you as a, a positive experience and teammate in the Olympics when NHL players didn't play. Uh, four years ago, they didn't play, which in a lot of ways was very positive for Germany, kind of showing themselves on the world stage. Are you still okay? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing the COVID thing aside, which is I'm not trying to be <laughs> flippant, but about it's best without NHL players there, or do you think the German, the, uh, German country would like to take on NHL players now? Well, I think that Germany has developed these guys, and they would love to see a Leon Dreisaitl, a Mordet Sider, a Timmy Stutzel, a J.J. Paterka, plus a lot of guys from our domestic league that – you know, there's a lot of guys in our league that could probably play in the National Hockey League but just choose to stay at home. So I think they've, they've seen what they did in 2018 against, uh, you know, I'm not, not amateurs, but not, non-NHL players. And I think the German fans believe that they're at that level right now, that they can compete with the Canada, the U.S., the Russia, and, and compete against the best. Not necessarily thinking that they're going to win, but, you know, compete with them and show them that they're, they're almost at that level. Yeah, it's gonna, still going to be a long time to be able to consistently compete with Canada, U.S., Russia. Um, But they think they're getting there, and they'd love to be able to see how close they actually are. And I know that the guys in the domestic league, in our league, uh, just they thrive at the chance to play against a Crosby, against a a Marchant and and a a McDavid. Like, they would love to to see what it's like to play against that level of competition. So uh, from that standpoint, I think they would love to see best on best. Uh, And as a fan, I love the best on best. I think it's great. Everyone wants to see that. But as an individual that went through it uh, when there wasn't all NHL guys there yet, um, it it gave me a stepping stone to to, to my career. And I'll forever uh, hold that in a special place for me. And it's it's an opportunity where some guys would never get that opportunity if NHL guys were playing all the time. So I'm kind of split on that. But I certainly would love to see, personally, I would love to see the best of Canada go out and and, and defend a gold medal and and get out there because it's always... You know, it's always the most fun when you have the best players in the world playing for your, for your country against the world, sorry. Uh, and I think the German fans right now believe they have enough depth in that country to compete and maybe cause a few upsets along the way. Yeah, and it, it feels to me like it. Maybe, maybe there's a world where you get the best of both worlds, where you set up a World Cup, and that is your true best on best, and then the Olympics gets to become, you know, the tournament that we saw in 2018, the tournament you played in, the tournament that we may, we may be seeing this kind of upcoming year. Because no one's ever going to say that a, that a Connor McDavid or you know even a Leon Draisaitl for Germany doesn't doesn't cherish, it doesn't love playing in the Olympics. But once you kind of are in the throes of the NHL and you're you're at that that level, the absolute pinnacle. It does feel like, you know, I would never say they take it for granted, but it does feel like maybe they can't appreciate it quite the same way, you know, somebody like you did or, or you know, some, some of the players from, from 2018 or this upcoming year might. Like, it just feels like it might not be possible for them to quite appreciate it the same way. Yeah, no, and you're right, Brent. I mean, Gord would know this because he was, we were talking about with, with Paul Creel. He was only an 18-year-old kid, but I remember speaking with him and this is before that he, he ended up going to Anaheim after the Olympics and becoming an NHL superstar and eventually a Hall of Famer. He'll tell you to this day that that was one of his fondest memories was going there uh, as a, you know, he's an 18-year-old, but that was one of his, his greatest experiences was, was playing in that tournament. Uh, you know, and he played, he played in other ones as well, but that was kind of his little, his little baby that he enjoyed more than anything. So, uh, I mean, 
he didn't enjoy because we didn't win the gold medal and he won a gold medal down the road. But still, that was something that he really cherished, cherished moving forward and, and the rest of us did as well. So, I mean, Gordon and I, we, we did the, the World Cup, remember, in Canada in yeah. 2000, was it 2016? Is that when yeah. it was? I, yeah, I that was remember. great. That was great. And it, it, was, it was good to watch that because when you first saw everything going on, it seemed like at the beginning it was a little bit gimmicky. But then as, as it got going and it got into the heat of the, uh, the middle of the heat of the, the tournament, you could see the, the levels of elevation and the intensity start picking up. And when the, when the North American, Team North American got going, it was so exciting to watch. And you just saw at that moment everyone was really taking this as serious as they possibly could. And, and the level and the execution of play was awesome. I would love to see that again. If that is what has to replace going to the Olympics, well, I'm okay with that. I'd love to see them go to the Olympics all the time. But if you, if you have to have a one-off of something else just in order to be able to see best on best, I would go back to that for sure. And I would also add Team Young North America again because that was awesome. So, Brent, I'm going to leave you two little Todd things leaving because he reminded me of one. Todd, Can't you, and Sam are, you and Sam are too young, but back in the early 90s, they had those big video cameras that used to be annoying at Christmas and whatever one person would have. It was like the size of a Volkswagen. Well, Todd brought it to the Olympics, and, 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 and players, players were kind of pissed off a little bit at times, and then they treasured that he has the only behind-the-scenes footage, right, Todd? Yeah, of, uh, yeah, yeah you're so, right. So, yeah, so they, they went to Todd to get footage. He has it, so all those years later. But the other, I just want to tell you, as, um, as co-host, as part of the Leafs Nation team, Todd is the ultimate about, you know, Black Hawk Down, leave no man behind, because we were in Buffalo for the uh, Austin Matthews draft in 2015, or 2015 <laughs> or 16, 16. Anyway, yeah. so the, fr- the Friday night, um, Austin Matthews get- goes first overall, right? That's the big story, right, Brent? You know, like, that's for it. Sure. Anyway, beautiful night in Buffalo, uh, party night like crazy. We're at a convenient motel about 18 miles away. I don't know. No, it was a few <laughs> miles away. It wasn't so. It was a little ways by the airport. Yeah. Yeah, so we get up the next morning, beautiful Saturday. Now we've got to go down for the anti-climax, doing rounds two through seven, <laughs> whatever. And our buddy, Matty Brown, who was part of the team, like Sam McKee is, right? And we call and call in his room, no answer. I believe that he probably stayed somewhere downtown because Matt knows a lot of people and whatever, and we yeah. knew he was out having fun and that. To Todd's credit, he believed Matt was actually in the room. I was ready to go. And then Todd talked to the woman at the front desk. Like, it wasn't a big, it was only like three or four stories, right? Yeah. And he yeah. got her to leave her post, which she could get fired for, <laughs> to go open the room so there was nobody at the post. You asked me to kind of stay there so she didn't get yeah. a bleep. And right. sure enough, there was Matt, like, in the in the fetal position, whatever. <laughs> having, I think he hung with Patrick Liney the previous night and, and Alex Nylander or something. Like, he had yeah. made it back home uh, way worse for the way. And, yeah. uh, and I would have left. I would have not left him behind on purpose. But I'd wipe my hands and said, "We're gone." And uh, that was the ultimate print of a guy yeah. leaving no man behind. Todd Alusha. Well, the, the, I'll tell you what, but the best the best part about that is is that the reason why I knew Maddie was like that. That's not just gut instinct. I've been there when I played before. <laughs> I have been there, so I kind of saw all the red flags and I knew what was going on. So we went up there and got him. But the best part about it is after I got in there and I woke him up, he was just, he was out cold. He, he unconsciously jumped in the shower quick. I went back downstairs and he jumped in the car with me and Gord afterwards. And he goes, hey, boys, what's up? And I go, Maddie, how you doing? He goes, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Things are great. Thanks. He had no idea that that was me that went in and woke him up. 
he thought that he had just woken up on his own and made the car. I was, we were dying. It was, it was such a good, it was such a good, uh, a good story. And, and to this day, he still doesn't believe that I went in to wake him up. That's why it's awesome. Well, <laughs> He's going to love man. us telling that tale. story there, Gordo. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have you texted. He might be listening, so that's good. He's a, it's, it's, like, it's like Sam and Brent and, and Ozzy and, and Rick Natris and Mark Savard and uh, uh, Vic Palladian and all that stuff. We, yep. you, you talked yep. to Derek earlier. Like so many, so many people have been a part of it. So we're, we're always still a yep. team. That's for sure. Yeah, good little, good little family. Oh, and just... Everyone always stays close, so it's pretty cool. I, I'm just happy I uh, I got to join the family now. And yes, I have a ton of time for uh, for Matt Brown as well. I'm so happy we ended on that story. Uh, Todd, honestly, a thrill having you back on the station. So much fun. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you, bud. And thanks so much for joining us on the second week of backup uh, bottom of the barrel, guys. Yeah. So thank you for well, that. I had to, had to get wait, one more don't, twist in. Don't wait so long next time, boys. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And, Brett, I'll tell you one thing. Please, please, when you're watching games with Gordo, Make sure that he does not order the meat lovers pizza from Panago Pizza. That will kill you. You might do it almost all the time we're watching games together. Maybe, maybe. Uh, Todd, thanks so much, bud. Uh, right, boys. Get out of here. Go enjoy your family. Thanks, buddy. Oh, thanks. man. That was a ton of fun. You've had a ton of great co-hosts over the years, Gord, but he uh, he is right up there with, with the best of them, man. What, how much fun was that? Well, and, you know, and, and uh, you know my memory kind of, so I start remember stories better that people tell me. And one Todd had forgotten, and I wasn't going to get him to tell it on air, but this is a true story. And I don't mind saying the referee's name, because you, you, you knew Paul Stewart a little bit, right? That he was kind of flashy and colorful. Do you mm-hmm. remember him as a ref at all? Yep. Anyway, uh, anyway uh, Todd is playing for the Calgary Flames, and he's fourth liner, and he's trying to, you know, trying to make an impression, you know, physical player. And someone starts yapping at Paul Stewart. And Paul Stewart's by the flames bench. And he turns to Todd and he says, if you jump that guy, I won't give you an instigator. How about that? <laughs> and so, so, so Todd goes out and just starts a fight with whatever, as per Stewie's instructions and whatever it takes, right, to stay in the National Hockey League. But that just, that just kind of showed things that, things that wouldn't happen nowadays as we kind of learn with some tough love to some officials. Halushko story. That's a Halushko story. Yeah, Sorry, you, got, you got another one? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah no, the one about Yager, about there was something about how they were teammates. I forget what it, how it goes, but do you remember the one I'm talking about? Oh yeah, because this would be yeah. a good memory for. So um, when the Leafs eliminated the Pittsburgh Penguins in the playoffs, yeah, Gary Volk scored that goal to win Game Six. So Todd had played pretty well all year. I, I think it was at Baltimore. What are Danny Markov saluting? Yeah, that's right. The, the great Danny Markov salute to Yager. So, I mean, you think about it, we got to get that back again, that playoff. Oh, man, that bite, that bite, that bite. So, so Todd Olushko is, is like a black ace, is called up to be with the Penguins. And uh, so, you know, just how black is, they kind of hang around in that. And so anywhere he goes... Like, he's the life of the party. Like, they're out somewhere. He's up dancing. He's doing whatever. He's just so – so it goes on. And finally, like, three weeks into it, Yarmor Yager says, like, who is this guy anyway? What's his role in the team? Someone goes, he's one of our players. <laughs> like, he thought, like, Todd had got hired as a mascot or something. Like, they decided to bring in, a, like, a seat stuffer, entertainment coordinator, and whatever, you know. So, so that was his – 
That was his ultimate compliment from Yarmar uh, Yager about, yeah, who, who is this guy that every time we go out starts dancing and starts being the life of the party? Oh. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, that is so good, man. What a breath of fresh air uh, Todd was. Uh, you know, I think the three of us are, are pretty good at chuckling and laughing all on our own, but man, uh, what a breath of fresh air he was. Uh, nice nice job by you, McKee, uh, track, tracking him down. A tough guy. Where is he these days? Dusseldorf, uh, Mannheim, <laughs> where, where, where'd, you track, where'd you track him down to? I think he's in Guelph. <laughs> I, think, I think he's in Guelph, so it wasn't that big a get. But, yeah, I uh, love that. Just gives me the flashbacks. Remember the first night I filled in for Matty Brown doing Leafs Nation postgame? Uh, I guess the year before Matty Brown quit and I took over full-time doing it. And I remember just being so nervous for some reason, being like, oh, I gotta, I really got to impress. And, and my My nervousness was immediately uh, taken away when I walked in and I – you know, first of all, smelt the studio, but hung out with the fellas. They were just, we were having a blast right away. Those guys, you two were quite a pair together. And then Savvy and then Alberga. And now it go, it's a great line of beauties that have been doing the show for a long time. He he has a look like uh, uh, Eddie Haskell. I, get, I, I make old ref. Give me, who's the modern day little, like, uh, I don't know, just the, de- the guy in the group. That's got that devilish look and is polite oh, and yeah. nice and always something. Well, I call him Sam on. McKee, but yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> they, you know, no, but just some some kind of private joke is going on or something there, and and you're more often than not right about that with Todd. But his his hockey knowledge is fabulous, and when he played in Mannheim, the owner is the guy that owns the San Jose Sharks, right? That's that's <laughs> the owner of the Mannheim team. That uh, and so his son was just a teenage kid. Uh, on the team, and Todd's playing there, and you know who who's nice to everybody. It's Todd. So what happens later on? Uh, the the kid becomes <laughs> runs the team at about age thirty, and who does he look to for a number of reason? But to hire is Todd because not only his great hockey knowledge, but you remember how people treated you along the way, and and Todd wouldn't have done that with any ulterior motive in mind. So that's just a real nice story, uh, and he's just killing it right now in Mannheim. It's just a great great fit. What? A- one of my big-time bucket list items is to go over there for, uh, you know, go watch a couple games in the Swedish League and the German League. I'd love to do the Spangler Cup one year. I've just, I'm always so fascinated by the hockey in the European leagues over there, just the fan culture and how it's very, I know Gunnar won't love this, but it's very soccer-esque with, like, the chanting and the drums and how everybody's jumping up and down the whole time. It's just a totally different way that hockey's looked upon as, you know, in terms of being a fan there as it is here it's always been one of my dreams to go over there have you ever gone over a game over there gordo have you ever done that i have not have not you no. know and you got guys whether it's rob Sametta or dave McElwain, you know guy, i mean they, they go over and, and they're like hockey gods there first of all as players but you're you know just yeah yeah it's uh so many players have done it later in their career and just say man i'm really glad i'm really glad that i couldn't have the you know super nhl career i wanted or, the, or as long a career but i got a fabulous life experience doing that yeah I would, I would love to go to go see the Spengler Cup one day. And, yeah, I mean, I give you the gears a little bit for the soccer stuff, Sam. But I actually, like, honestly, all things considered, I think soccer fans probably have this whole fandom thing kind of figured <laughs> out. One, go get excited and get loud. And, two, it's not – your team can have a successful year without winning the championship or the title or whatever. And I think that that's kind of lost on us here. So there's, a, there's some elements of it I like. I, I When I saw the Spengler Cup, Canada pulled out the team, that I, I believe that was bad. late last week or over the weekend yeah that that crushed me the spengler cup is one of the the staples of my holiday is sitting around the house it's 11 30 in the morning and canada's <laughs> playing davos and some guy year, I, I haven't I just heard remember, of in 
10 years. Yeah. A tambellini is floating around. And, and then whenever I think of the, the Spangler Cup, the other thing I think of is the year of the last lockout when there were all the great Canadian players mm-hmm. playing for the other teams in the Spengler Cup. You had Thornton. Joe Thornton playing for Davos and everything like that. It's just, it's such a cool kind of quirky tournament in hockey, and I think it, it has a kind of perfect place. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm a little crushed that Canada's not going to be uh, playing in the Spengler Cup this year because, honestly, it's, it's always one of my favorites, just something that you just kind of stumble upon and here it is. And, yeah, I think it's a it's a great tournament and, yeah, kind of a bummer. But I, I'm sure I'm sure one day uh, Joe Thornton at, at 50 years old will be captain in Canada as a Spengler Cup team. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Something some tells me that will happen with how connected he is to that part of the world. Now, the, another point where I was discussing with someone today, the lack of great nicknames. I know I'm doing a bit of a change here, but it's true. There's just a lot like, like Mookie, like Mookie Wilson, like Magic Johnson, like Tiger Williams, like just, you know, real, real great nicknames. But, you know, I'm trying to remember some of them, but Todd, actually, <laughs> most of the ones Todd had, you couldn't say. I don't know. No, he could. He had just good nicknames for people and that. But him and, him and Matt Brown came up with, because uh, my good friend Ted Yuano, you know him, Sam, is, is my tennis yeah. partner, is listening now. But they called him Teddy Honolulu. So that's what stuck. So now, because whatever, just because I'd reference it all the time, he loves the show, loves the Leafs, loves the fan. So now he is forever because of Todd Alusco, Teddy Honolulu. And what a great nickname. Yeah, Toddy Honolulu. That is a like, great a, nickname. Yeah, it is. It is. It's fine. So, and I, and, uh, and anyway, I remember I called Todd once. Actually, I called Todd once uh, for, when it was about with Ted. And I forgot, in the summer, and Todd, Todd goes, Teddy Honolulu, that's like talking to a superstar. Whatever, put him on the line. So anyway, it's never, never dull whenever you get a hold of Todd Olusko. Well, now now I'm just wondering who your other tennis partner is because you can't play triples tennis with just one tennis partner. So now, <laughs> yeah, that's no, who I want to who the other partner is. Mark Savard played with me against Teddy Honolulu and his and his, and his uh, son CJ way back when. And, uh, and actually, it was a real good game, and that's when he talked about triples. But, uh, yeah, i got to get some of the other. They just had some good They just had some good fun nicknames. I don't know. It's just uh, – uh, and, and the World Cup was uh, – and, and you, I hope, Brent and, and, and Sam – Back in 2016, we were fortunate. It was at then Air Canada Centre. So, like, every night we were doing a game for the fan. It was really, you know, we'd run into Sam Cosentino when Dan Dunleavy was there and Barry Melrose was there for ESPN. And just, uh, it, it was a real neat kind of environment. So, you know, so, Brent, I, I really echo your sentiment that there has to be a consistency now to get, you know, I think the Olympics is, if we don't go, which looks like is having it at home even more, that we have to look at doing this, you know, every four years, and let's let's get back in the groove. I, I'm pretty sure Gunning was in the building for it, but I I will say that the Team North America versus Sweden game is one of the most exciting games I've watched. I can even remember watching in the last ten years. There's been a lot of great hockey games over the over that stretch of time, but that game was unbelievable. It went to three on three overtime. I remember there being multiple breakaways. I remember yeah. the Sedins even potentially having a two on zero break and John Gibson making a save. Nathan McKinnon with the amazing overtime winner. You were in the building for that one, right, Gunner? So I, I was working at the time. I was working a shift at the fan where I was kind of done around noon or 1 o'clock every day. And I would just go grab last-minute tickets. I sat two rows directly behind John Gibson's dad for that game. Really? I remember seeing a guy – yeah, I remember seeing a guy du- decked out in a Ducks tracksuit and I'm just thinking, okay, that's a little odd. I'm like, yeah, fan of John's? And he's like, I have to. I'm his father. Uh, and he was he was nails in that game. That was the first game Austin Matthews played at Scotiabank Scored. ever yep. since becoming a Leaf. In the oh, I I we talk about stuff that's burned into our brains. 
all the time. This moment is burned into my brain. Within the first, the very first shift of the game, McDavid gets a breakaway, does not score. Later on, on that shift, Austin Matthews finds himself in the corner. He's on his knees. He dangles Victor Hedman from his knees, passes it to Morgan Riley at the point. Riley shoots it on net. Matthews hammers home the rebound. The whole building's chanting, Austin Matthews. It's just, (laughs) it it was, it was incredible. And honestly, in, in hindsight, not that we didn't think Matthews would become what he he's been in Toronto but he got his coronation moment like right there for that game it was just it was incredible and and man you know Team North America was a gimmicky yeah did it make the tournament feel a little weird for sure but we're going to look back on that team in 10 15 20 years and it's going to be incredible to look at the names that 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 were on that list Morgan Riley we think of him as an old man now he was on that team it's just incredible the names that were on that well Austin Matthews playing with Connor McDavid David, yeah, exactly. Give me a break. <laughs> where, where they screwed up was that they they thought, okay, we're not going to pick um, whatever was an eighth country, so we're yeah. going to do vanilla. And Team Europe was a terrible concept. And you know, and I respect what the players did, and uh, you know, and and getting to the final. But as soon as they did, it just had no buzz, no energy, no jam, and it was so disappointing that the yeah. Young Guns team, even though like they got they got mathematically eliminated by the like the narrowest of margins, I couldn't believe it. So they they had some bad luck with that, and a bad bad not thinking it through about Team Europe. Yeah, and it would have been Canada versus. North America in the semifinal. If that mathematic, if my if my memory yeah, serves right, wasn't it? Yep, that was yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, so that would have been unbelievable. I remember wanting that so badly. Having Canada versus that North America team would have been so fascinating. And then it ended up being yeah, that North America in the final that stunk. But I do remember Brad Marchand scored a goal to win it really late in that game, and he was really excited. I remember being like. I'm excited about this too, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited about this too, I think, is probably the perfect way. But I think it kind of proves branding. If you just keep bringing it back, and every four years before the NHL season starts up, You've got the best players in the world playing the World Cup of Hockey, and there's no all-star teams. You just have countries in there. I think it would be uh, an incredible, incredible thing uh, for the game. Also, we talk about uh, John Gibson being the goalie. The other goalie for Team North America, he wasn't too bad. Connor Hellybuck was kind of the backup for that wow. team, man. Uh, wow. It's incredible just how talented that team was. Gordo, tons of fun doing the show with you today. Uh, we'll be back for a couple more days this week. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, we got the we got the Christmas flavor. Even if uh, there's going to be a lack of games, we're going to have lots of it here. Yep, we will have it here. Leafs Nation, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and wherever it is you get your podcasts.